Are you a small business owner or someone who has a real interest in building your own brand? Then deep dive into the UP Consulting Group's Business Building Bootcamp, the annual convention and training camp for entrepreneurial spirits. Join us this March 5 and 6 to discover how you can unlock your business potential. Based on the Youngblood column of the Philippine Daily Inquirer, this is the Youngblood Podcast. Stories written by the Filipino youth that inform, empower, and inspire. I'm your host, Leah Angela Shoko. This week's essay is about making a leap of faith. Saying no to something even when the world thinks you must say yes. Trusting your own conscience and ultimately building a new life that is different from what others expect. It's about the source and the power of self-respect. I am in the middle of a career change. Being in this transitory period, I feel like I'm standing on anything but solid ground. I have read a book that describes being in this phase as comparable to being in a rocket floating in outer space. That rocket is traversing the open universe, having just taken off from a planet labeled Old Identity, and trying to make its way to another planet labeled New Identity. Such a state of hovering between two worlds, the book points out, is one of the most difficult, testing times one can go through in one's career life. It's true. A nurse by profession, I worked a full four months as a staff nurse in a local private hospital before deciding I didn't want to pursue a career in nursing. No, I don't have horror stories of volunteering in a public hospital, handing over a hundred patients every shift, all with no pay for two years. I have but this straight out simple narrative of my very short-lived nursing career. I was a newly licensed registered nurse from the province who luckily was accepted for training in a well-known hospital in Quezon City, hired as a staff nurse after completing the mandatory two-month training, and worked there for four months before throwing in the towel. My sudden resignation, packing up, and return to my home province shocked many. I had spent the last six years of my life studying and training to be a nurse, and when I finally became one and was blessed enough to land a job in one of the country's best hospitals, I suddenly dropped everything just like that and walked away. Stopping at the start of a promising nursing career, it's certainly not a sane move for a girl who's always walked a straight, narrow path. People who learned of my move called it a variety of things. Some called it immaturity, others chalked it up to homesickness, some called it guts, while still others considered it youthful fickleness. I, however, only had one word for it. Freedom. It was freedom to finally break out of the mold into which I had tried to fit myself the moment I graduated from high school. Nursing wasn't my passion. I, along with many others, I believe, chose the course with the main end in view of one day working abroad as a nurse and raking in dollars. Thus, I was one of those teenagers who, 
as Gail Sheehy put it, slipped into a ready-made form without much self-examination. Doing this inevitably led to not only locking away a part of who I really was, but also chiseling off portions of myself to fit that ready-made mold, a process which I learned to be unhealthy for my body, torturous to my mind, and lethal to my spirit. The moment I recognized this, I knew it was time for Plan B. Only, I had no Plan B. When I handed in the resignation letter, I had no alternative job waiting for me. In fact, I had no idea of what to do with my life next. After all, the risk I took didn't include life handing me a manual on how to go about the business of dealing with what's next. In packing up and leaving, I thus officially jumped on the ever-growing bandwagon of 20-somethings who were, in a word, lost. Or, in two words, lost and jobless. The freedom resulting from that move, then, was initially not one of the soaring, inspiring kind you might imagine. It was more like going out of a cage after a long time inside, disheveled and limping a little, from having to crumble in the process of finding out what I was really made of. But I had to start somewhere, and that somewhere was myself. It occurred to me that before I could regain a sense of purpose in my life, I needed to take a good look at myself first. Before I could get to comfortably click myself into that elusive career fit, my so-called niche in this world, I had to rediscover how I was naturally shaped, my strengths, my weaknesses, and most importantly, my passions. I wanted to be one of those people who took a chance in pursuing their passions and are now living their dreams, instead of continuing to be a member of the zombie workforce, waking up every day, and going ho-hum, guess you gotta do this, deeming work as a necessary evil. More than steering me to just another job, I thus endeavored for this transition that will funnel me to the discovery of my calling. For that to happen, I knew I had to go back to what I am genuinely passionate about. What is it, you ask? Well, you're reading it. Writing has always been my greatest passion, and I know it will always be so. I have gone back to doing freelance writing for web content, and just recently, also for the print media. On the side, I've also taken up graduate studies to pursue another of my greatest passions, psychology. I hope to one day establish a career that merges both. Transitioning through a career change is difficult, and highly demanding of self-confidence, faith amidst uncertainty, and patience amidst edginess and anxiety. Like steering a spacecraft through the wide open universe, there is no rushing the process. No matter how much fuel is in the tank, no matter how strong the human will to move forward, no matter the desire to see beyond what is, the laws of nature still prevail. Growth and easing into a new role take time. I admit there are days when I still question whether the risk I took was worth it, 
or if I was better off with following the familiar, conventional path. Until I land and settle in the new planet I'm trying to get to, this continues to be a struggle. I'm still wobbling while I'm inside a space rocket, trying to seek a new world that's not even guaranteed to exist. But though fears and uncertainties stubbornly went aboard with me on this ride, this trip is every bit as exhilarating as it is daunting. And truth is, while I do appreciate the stability of solid ground, I am at a point in my life when there's nowhere else I'd rather be than launch in this space rocket, shooting through the stars, and transitioning. Carla's essay was published last January 11, 2014. And while her work focused on career change and finding the courage to go against what the majority of people in her life think, today we will be talking about her passion for writing. Welcome to the Young Blood Podcast, Miss Carla. How are you? Hello, Leah. I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. I'm so excited because I know that this topic that we'll be tackling is something that we're both very passionate about. So I'm excited to how this conversation is going to be like. Yes, I'm excited too. Thank you for having me. First of all, before diving into your writing process, can you please tell us about your young blood story? How did you hear about Youngblood? When did you start writing for Youngblood? And what did you feel when you were first published? Mm. Yes, Actually, I'd been familiar with Youngblood since I was a child because my mother was a librarian. So I was often at the library, you know, browsing books, newspapers, and that's how I first discovered the Youngblood column. And I was also an active member of our school paper back then. And I remember wondering whether I'll ever get to write something for Youngblood 2 someday. But it wasn't until high school, though, when I started to write out drafts for Youngblood. But I never got to write anything past the second paragraph because I felt that was too big for me at the time. Then after some years, I had graduated college. I was a working professional. I went through some sort of a personal crisis involving my career choice, and I felt like I needed to make a change in my life back then. And after I did, I thought to write about that rough patch in my life uh, in Young Blood, and that's when I picked up the pen again in the hopes of writing for the column, and that's how the piece transitioning started. So it was late 2013 when I wrote and submitted it, and it was in January 2014 when it was published, and it was an emotional moment for me, actually, because that piece is very personal. And being published was not just about fulfilling that lifelong writing dream for me, but it was also some sort of a push encouraging me to keep going in my path. Would you say that your writing for Young Blood was something that really helped you find your voice as a writer? all throughout the years when you continued to send and continued to see your work published? Yes, definitely. Um, the first piece that was published, that was also the first one I submitted. But I have to tell you that after that piece, I continued sending, sending in pieces for Young Blood, but they never got published. So that was also a process for me of finding out um, how to improve my writing and who I really am as a writer. And I continued 
standing in pieces until more got published. Thanks for bringing that up because for some writers, I feel like they're more confident when they have one essay published on Young Blood already and then they keep standing and then they get published multiple times. And then outsiders or people who aren't familiar with the rigor that goes into the reading and the kind of like the admissions process of the Young Blood column think that once you get published, it's like always going to be a yes for you because you have that track record. But it's actually not. Yes, yes, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, it's kind of a, a myth, I think, that when somebody is a published writer, that they could just dish out great pieces every time. But we know for a fact, we who have tried to submit for Youngblood, it's really a process involving a lot of rejections. And it's it's also hard emotionally to deal with that. But I think getting that out in the public, helping writers realize that rejections don't mean the end for their writing career, I think that would encourage more people to just try and submit and wait for their own time. Since I know that you love writing, I'm pretty sure that you're also a voracious reader. Can you tell us what your favorite book is and why? Yes, sure. My all-time favorite book is Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. It's a special book for me because, as its subtitle says, it offers instructions on writing and life. And I strongly feel that writing, not just, you know, the product of it, but more the process and the experience of it, it actually mirrors life itself. And the lessons we learn in the process of writing are in themselves life lessons, too. Yeah, I actually yeah, I read, read that, that book, book too, and, and I, I loved, loved it. it. I love the humor wow, and yes. the style I of Anne. Like, yes. for a very yeah, academic very book, academic because, because it's used for college. college. We used we it used in a pre-college program, program, and then we read it in depth. depth. For mm-hmm. an instructional college-type college book, it was very entertaining. Yes, it's, it's a very enjoyable like read. Most, like most, most other, other academic, academic type of, of, of books. So it was, so it was fun. fun. So I'm interested, what, I'm was, interested, your what was your favorite lesson? lesson? There's this chapter entitled Shitty First Drafts. In it, she talks about how good writing is so often stems from really bad first attempts. And anyone who has ever attempted to write anything knows this. You know, the first lines, the first pages. They get thrown out because, well, they, they're sort of crap. And as Lamotte points out in her book, uh, we needed to write those pages before we could sort of distill our thoughts and get to the one page that, that we're writing, the one, you know, that finally makes sense and, and sounds right. And I actually have a bit of a note here from her book. It's one of my favorite quotes. It says, there may be something in the very last line of the very last paragraph on page six that you just love that is so beautiful or wild that you know now what you're supposed to be writing about more or less or in what direction you might go. But there was no way to get to this without first getting through the first five and a half pages, end of quote. And that lesson, I think, is not only applicable to writing, but also to life because Sometimes we need to go through the bad first before we can really learn and get to the good part. Yeah, and it's great that you mentioned that because 
non-writers have this feeling that writers who have very beautiful writing can just put it out there in one go. But then, yeah, fellow writers know that that beautiful form probably took at least three, four, five, even ten drafts. Yes, yes, exactly. And I also, I recall this one quote now, although I, I, I forget now who said it. Uh, he said, easy reading is damn hard writing because exactly those uh, pieces of writing that are easy to read took a lot of effort before they, they could um, sound so elegant. Exactly. And the challenge is even bigger for personal essayists who use themselves as the lens to see the world because... It's hard to kind of use yourself as a subject. I don't know if it makes sense, but when you're a personal essayist, it's hard to bring yourself out there. It's like almost you're looking at your own self while you're writing there. It's from your, like you're from another side of the room and you're judging yourself for what you are and not for what you think you really are. So it's hard to... Yeah, mm. to kind of be that yeah, third person, that but third still write in the first person. Yes, yes, exactly. Actually, I want to share with you uh, this concept, you know, this term called metacognition. It's thinking about your own thinking. And I think those who engage in the process of writing the personal essay do a lot of this uh, metacognition because we need to be able to see ourselves, to observe ourselves as we go through thoughts and emotions and then put that down on paper. The even bigger challenge as personal essayists, based on what I learned and from my own experience, is being a reliable narrator. Yes, yes. Especially if you bring in other people in the scene or in the story where you you write about your specific encounter with them and you say, oh, the woman looked at me with contempt. And then the reader, the intelligent reader might ask, how do you know that she was looking at you with contempt? You know, so it's hard to make something dramatic and emotional if you bring other people in. And so in my own experience, I kind of just make sure that I write wherein I'm the only one in that specific story, in that whole essay. What about you, Miss Carla? What has been your experience in using yourself as the subject and using yourself as the narrator and the lens through which readers can see your world? For me, I draw a lot from my experience writing in my journal because I've kept a journal since I was a child. And I think that's when um, my skills in the personal narrative is really developed and really sharpened. So whatever I experience in the day, I write that down. And at some point, there will be some line there or some concept that I think would be interesting to write more about. And I take that from my journal and turn it into a piece. I also keep a journal, but I don't do the Dear Diary kind of thing, like what you feel. So I'd love to share this. It's called the Factual Diary slash journal. So I read this, and this was inspired actually by a New York Times article that says you get to be more objective in 
evaluating your day or yourself or your thoughts when you use this technique. And so I tried doing it because before, like you, I was also that kind of person who kind of wrote everything that she felt. But now I'm more on what I do and not so much on how I feel. So it's something like writing everything that you do as soon as you finish doing them. You did your laundry, you put it down. And I think it's also an amazing approach to thinking about if you've done what you're supposed to do for the day rather than how you felt during that day. So it's something that I'm doing now and it's working miracles in a sense because it allows me to remember certain details or certain random things that I wouldn't have remembered otherwise that I not put them down on paper. So thanks for sharing your journal writing. And I think it's true that writers really need to have journals because it's one way of kind of practicing the writing, like short assignments in a sense. Yes, yes. Like what Anne Lamott also mentioned in her book about short assignments. And I also wanted to say that it was very interesting what you shared about the factual journal or the factual entries that you write, because I think that's a very good exercise in sharpening observational skills, which is, I think, really essential for a writer because a writer takes everyday common objects or situations or phenomena and turn them into something that they use metaphors, they they turn it into something philosophical even. Exactly, exactly. And you brought up short assignments. That was the first chapter, I think, in Anna Mott's Bird by Bird. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I think so. That, that I think, is the... That chapter talks about the, the inspiration for the title itself, Bird by Bird, because I remember it was about her brother, I think. Uh, her brother was um, freaking out about this cool project or assignment that he was doing that he needed to uh, deal with a lot of birds mm-hmm. he needed to write about I think them it was, yeah, I think. a science project a science project yes and uh, the advice there was that he just needed to take it bird by bird he didn't need to uh, do them all at once so that's not to overwhelm him. So just take it one thing at a time. So the way Anna Mott related this uh, writing in general was that if you need to write a novel or if you need to write an essay, don't think of everything all at once. Don't think of the start, middle, and the end. Yeah. Start with a specific scene. And that's what I loved about it. Start with a vision of that specific scene and write it down. Like Start when the boy met his first love for the first time or that specific moment when you were at the beach, just that. And then you can stop and then continue again tomorrow, right? Yes, yes. I think she also cited a metaphor about driving a car at night on a rainy night or something like that. Yes, exactly. That's my favorite lesson from the book, actually. Oh, wow, yes. Because she says you could still get to your destination even though you could just see a little way ahead through your headlights. Yes, exactly. Mm. She said you don't need to see everything all at once. Just far enough. Far enough for you to continue and to move. And it makes sense, not just for writing, but obviously in life in general. I mean, how could you plan your whole life 
with an end that always seems so far. Like, I mean, you can't start when you're, like, right now, I'm in college. I can't make a goal of um, getting there at the very end of when I die or when I'm on my deathbed already, right? Um, And my goal to have people around me that I love. Um, But rather, I think it's important to just focus on the little things and the more immediate things that you can kind of get a hold of and that's interesting that she brought that up also her her work on perfectionism she said something about perfection doesn't even exist so don't write in a way that exudes perfection because it doesn't even mean anything and if you're trying to always be perfect you end up being so hard on yourself and not enjoying the process of writing anymore and you're going to find out that when you finish that work that other people also finished similarly great work but had fun along the way because they weren't so serious they weren't so perfectionist and that really changed my out- my outlook in life because i've always been that kind of person who who focused on the goal always and not so much on the system or the process. Yes, yes. So that was something that, that really resonated with me. Yeah, yeah, because perfection is somewhat, you know, paralyzing and it takes the joy out of create creative or creative process. Yeah, and in the end, you feel bad because you you were so hard on yourself while others were having fun along the way. Yeah. So they got to do both things at once well you only got to do one so if that's your end goal if that's your mindset you really could get cracked up that's true okay thanks for sharing your favorite lesson on animal spurred by bird and i'm so glad that we talked about that because this brings me to my next question which is about your love for writing specifically for the personal essay since bird by bird is an instructional nonfiction book about writing I know that this book is something that only hardcore writers or hardcore readers would really consider as their favorite books so can you tell us how you got into this position where you feel like writing is something that you really want to do well I think it started from a love of reading really being surrounded by books and words and how it makes me feel like it makes me feel connected with others it makes me feel less alone it makes me understand things and open up my mind about things and that led to my own uh, love or motivation to also write down things that others would find inspiring or maybe help others feel more connected with other people. And I wanted to give back the favor, basically. So at a young age, you started reading, right? In yes. school. Yes, yes. Again, so what I was it like? Because for me, I was a big bookworm. And I mm. felt like I was a loner, in a mm. sense. <laughs> but I had friends who were also bookworms. So what was it like for you as a child having reading as your hobby or your extracurricular? For me, I, I don't think I I felt um, like I was a loner. Maybe because I, I had a sort of excuse to be around books. Because as I mentioned before, my mother was a librarian. So people aren't really... Uh, wondering why I'm at the library all the time. And I think um, 
some writers tend to feel left out or tend to feel like a loner because the world celebrates more of these extroverted personalities who are just out all the time instead of curled up in a book. But for me, I think I develop a sort of a soft spot for introverts because I'm an introvert myself. And I also like gravitated towards people who have a similar personality. Yeah, and it, it's interesting though that you brought up the fact that writers are solitary in a way because writing in itself is a solitary act. You write on your own, you think on your own, and you put down your thoughts. So in a way, it's it's like knowing what you feel, what you want, and what you know at that moment. So that, that's what I really love about writing. It allows me to make sense of my life. Because oftentimes, I don't. Yeah, so it gives me that clarity, that order that I wouldn't be able to get from any other activity that I'm doing. And that's why I stick with writing. And it also makes me happy. Like when you finish an essay, when you finish a short draft, it gives you a sense of accomplishment. Yes. It's like you feel fulfillment out of being able to finally put it to work. Even if you just keep it for yourself. I think that in itself is already a reward. I mean, Mm -hmm. you don't need to get published. You don't need to have people read it. Um, But when you get it published and when you get it out there and when you make the decision to share it to others, it becomes a gift and it becomes not just a solitary feat anymore because you shared it to everyone out there and in a way you started a conversation so while writing is a solitary act it's product or it's output it's really not just for for you you know it's a way for you to connect to others and in some way give value to their lives by starting that conversation by sharing yourself out there yes yes exactly writing first starts out as something that you do on your own. But as you mentioned, the end result really has the potential to help you feel connected with others. Yeah, and it's amazing that writers have this sense of confidence, a sense of independence in a way, because other people that I know when they have a problem or when they have this big feeling, when they have a dilemma to deal with, they always go to another person. They always go to their closest friends, their parents, or even their teachers or authorities or doctors or or psychologists. But for me specifically, because I like to think of myself as a writer, if I find myself in a situation that needs some someone's guidance someone's input Mm. i write it down i write my thoughts down and in a way writing has allowed me to find a friend or a confidant in my own self what about you do you feel like you're in that level of having confidence in just your own self and making your own decisions or in consoling yourself when you're in a deep pit or do you still find yourself having the need to find others and talk to them about that specific thing that you you think you need guidance in or counsel in. 
I think we have a similar experience with writing, Leah, actually, because as I mentioned before, I journal a lot. So all my deep emotions, even negative ones or mostly negative ones, I get to express them or vent them on paper. And I, I remember someone once said, paper is more patient than man. You know, you could write all you want, all your thoughts, all your feelings, and the paper won't get sick and tired of you. And I think also the thing you said about like finding out lessons by yourself or realizations by yourself, I realized that a lot when I look back at my journal entries from when I was younger, because sometimes I find that my younger self is really more optimistic, maybe even more wise than who I am right now. So I look back to those entries and then find guidance in my younger self. And it's interesting now that you say that because most people who are older, who are wiser, think that they make better decisions now than they did back then. But for you, it's the complete opposite. Yes, yes, exactly. And what's even more interesting is the fact that you're specializing in psychology. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... You're now a psychologist, right? Yes, I am. I am a psychologist. Yeah, so I'm interested in how you use writing in correlation with the work you do as a psychologist. Mm. Given that writing is your first love and the sciences is something that you want to use as, uh, like I would say, a guiding hand or a lens in your writing. So how, how do you connect both? different worlds Mm, yes yes thank you for bringing that up because as i had written in my essay transitioning you know i hope to one day have a career that merges both my passion for writing and my love for psychology Uh, my work now as a psychologist does involve a lot of writing but it's more of the technical kind you know as in writing psychological evaluation reports as for more of the creative writing kind I write about psychology and mental health in my blog, and I think that's more of where I get to combine my love for writing essays and my knowledge in the field of psychology. Amazing. By the way, thanks for bringing up your blog. I remember 15-year-old me wanting to get published, and I looked up on Google how to get published on Youngblood, and I found your blog. Oh, wow. Yes, I was 15 and I remember being so funny because I, I, I like the way that you wrote it because you didn't write it in a way that felt intimidating, that felt like, oh, I got in and had my essay published because I'm this, 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 this. But you started with that sentence that was a little more friendly. I don't know what exactly it is now word by word, but the thought was, it was a dream come true and I worked so hard to get my essay published and now it happened. And so that really brought me in and became an inspiration that, oh, she didn't know that she was going to get published also and she was scared, but she still got herself published. She she wasn't cocky about it and that was really what allowed me to persevere all through those rejections and all through those all throughout those times when I felt like I, I really wasn't good enough to be published on paper, like I didn't have anything to say. That was something that I held on to. And also, your blog is just fun overall in general. And thanks for bringing that up. It's called Icebergs. I forgot what it's called. Ink, ink blots and Icebergs. Yeah, ink blots and Icebergs. Yeah, yes, that, that was yes. really fun. And thanks for bringing that up. 
thank you. That's so good to you hear mentioned also. that you're a psychologist and you find mm-hmm. a way to connect your passion for writing and the work that you do now mm-hmm. by using your blog. So how is your blog working right now? How would you describe it and sort of evaluate it in a sense? Mm-hmm. From from compared to when you began it and then now, what was the evolution? You know, I, I have to admit, I don't write in my blog as often as I want to. And I want to make the excuse that life gets in the way, but that's that's a lame excuse for someone who really wants to write, I think. I started the blog with the vision of writing about mental health issues and psychology, and that's where the name of the blog came from, actually, the part of icebergs, because that's in reference to um, Sigmund Freud's Freud's theory on consciousness, you know, and a large part of our personality is, is submerged. And now I also get to write about writing and my personal experiences because I learned that I couldn't just limit myself into writing about psychology. Writing to me is very personal. And so whatever experiences that I have, I get to write about it in my blog. Your story reminds me of Elizabeth Gilbert. She's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. Yes. And like you... She considers writing as her first love. It's her passion. It's something that she knows she's good at. And she knows it's something that she really wants to do for the rest of her life. And so growing up, after graduating from college, she was waiting tables. She said something about that at a podcast I listened to at the School of Greatness. So that's what the podcast is called, the School of Greatness. She said that she was willing to be a waitress to sell random things, to do all the hardships that other writers go through just so she could write. She would miss vacations with her friends. She was willing to live in a very small or a very quaint house. She was willing to give up all the pleasures of the world just so she could write. Would you consider yourself to be someone like Yeah, Gilbert's passion is really admirable. I also saw her TED Talk, Your Elusive Creative Genius, and and her passion for writing is is really infectious. Uh, For me, maybe not anymore at that level, or maybe it's a not yet, but I hope it's a not yet. (laughs) Because when I decided to pursue psychology, actually part of the reason was that I was thinking I could maybe someday make it as a writer publishing books related to psychology and mental health. So now I'm working full-time as a psychologist and I'm gaining experience and insights into human behavior as I go along. So I guess at least one part of that equation is underway. And maybe someday, hopefully, I get the courage to focus more on writing as, as a profession And I think whatever I end up writing, though, will definitely still involve psychology to some degree. So in a way, you're going to be like Oliver Sacks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of his books, but I shamefully to admit I haven't read any of them. (laughs) So for listeners who don't know Oliver Sacks, Oliver Sacks is an American writer and a doctor. He was a neurosurgeon and he grew up in the UK. He studied at Oxford. He moved to to America because it was his dream, I would say. So he was a doctor and on the sidelines, he was a writer. 
But since he knew that writing was his first love, and mind you, and at Oxford, they, there's this exam where there are five or four questions. He wrote about it in his memoir on the move, which I read. And he said that the, there's only one winner of that contest or slash exam. And usually the winner wins because the winner wrote amazing answers to those five questions. But what he did, he took this very bold risk of only answering one question. But he did it so beautifully that even if he didn't answer all the other questions, he won the contest. Wow, that's very impressive. So he knew that writing was really his love. But his parents were his inspiration for him to get into medicine. Because I think at the time, one of them was sick. Or was it his brother? Mm -hmm. Um, So he was into medicine. But since his first love, his passion was really writing. He connected his profession with his passion by submitting articles to the New York Times. He was an official columnist. Mm, So I think he could do that. He could take that route, be good at psychology, like what he did, like he really did his best to be the best in his field in medicine. And then he connected that with his passion for writing. And then he produced beautiful articles about them. And not just academic articles. It, It was also amazing of him to use himself as the subject because he wrote beautiful personal essays um if i could suggest one essay that you could read that's written by him it would be my periodic table so obviously it sounds like it's already related to science because periodic table involves elements and all that jazz and he wrote about it in a way that really made me understand science even if I don't like science at all he made me fall in love with science because he he just loved it himself and when he wrote about it he was very very clear and very eloquent and very sympathizing like he explained everything he didn't put science out there in a way that I wouldn't understand it and that would have made me feel intimidated instead I felt like he took care of me and he really guided me through the very beginning until the very end and at the end of that essay I just felt like wow I think I could be a scientist like him wow he he he's infectious then in his passion for science yeah Yeah, and it goes to show that writing really is his love because Mm. while he's into medicine already, he was still able to... And medicine, mind you, is kind of this far-reach goal that most people look up to but really feel intimidated by. He made it very friendly. He made it accessible to layman in layman's term. Wow, that's the goal then. Yeah, and of course you could do it. Of course, I believe in you. And I'm going to be following your blog all the way. I'm going to be in touch. Thank um, you. Because I know you are a phenomenal writer. I read your essay um, about being single. And I was like, oh my gosh. This uh, is the type of writing that we were discussing in yeah. the States when I was at a pre-college program. Mm. And at the time, I thought Filipino writers can come up with pieces like these Mm. I'm pretty sure that only liberal minds Americans or even Britons can only come up with this I'm pretty sure no Filipino writer could do this but then I read your essay and I was like oh my gosh there's hope (laughs) and um (laughs) you you were very vulnerable and not a lot of Filipino writers are like that because we were were raised in a sense as traditionalists as very straight-laced in the box kind of people and that ruins our creativity even our educational Mm. system just is very mundane and monotonous but 
yeah, you did it in a way that felt like a breath of fresh air and it was really amazing. So, considering, in my opinion, that you are an amazing writer and I know that if you just keep at it, you will be amazing. I want to know, you will be great rather, I want to know what do you think makes a great personal essay or in specific, mm. to be specific, what makes a great young blood essay? Hmm. Yes. Uh, first of all, thank you for saying all those things about my writing. <laughs> that means a lot to me. Um, to answer your question, I think the main thing really is is honesty. You know, I, I recall this post I once put up on my blog. It's called Art and Authenticity. It was about Leo Tolstoy's discussion on what art is. And he said that the quality of every work of art depends on three conditions, individuality, clearness of expression, and sincerity. And he highlighted that among those three, the most important is sincerity. And I wholly agree with that. When someone writes sincerely or honestly about something, the reader knows it and feels it and is able to connect with the piece and the writer on, on a deeper level. And, you know, Youngblood, its philosophy is really to be at platform for the voice of a generation and it calls on the youth from all walks of life to tell their story as they experience it because that honesty in a personal narrative that's what makes young blood such an effective medium of connection for the youth and maybe even a source of enlightenment or a stimulus of action for all others so honesty in a piece i think is really the most important condition Thank you, thank you for that. And also, in correlation to what you said, I agree with it 101%. Because my favorite young blood essays are the most vulnerable ones. The self-deprecating, the self-questioning, the self-contradicting essays are the ones that stick with me. And it just goes to show that they really are sincere. Because... They became vulnerable in their essays, and not a lot of writers can do that. Not a lot of writers can laugh them, laugh themselves, or can look at themselves in a very objective way. Yes, it takes courage, and, definitely. Yeah, put the drama in the essay, because I think also what makes a great essay is the fact that writers can look at themselves in a different light, and. Not in a self-righteous way, because I think self-righteousness is the enemy of the personal essayist. I agree. Thanks for bringing that up. And also, you brought up um, Leo Tolstoy. Oh my gosh. Anna Karenina was tough work for me. I, I couldn't finish it. How, have you ever read it? No, no. I, I, my weakness is definitely long novels and long books. Classics. <laughs> yeah, and... <laughs> Yeah, and reading Anna Karenina because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to read Anna Karenina before I head on to college because I'm going to be so well-versed. And I started reading it and I was like halfway through and I just gave up. I said, nope, now's not the time. I'm probably going to read it a few years from now. But for now, it's time, yeah. impossible for me to really understand it. But I love the drama that, that the whole story was about. Just the language that he used was very intimidating. It was very old English. And so it really didn't appeal to the me to 18 year old me yeah yeah so before we end the interview miss carla i want to know 
And this is also going to be my last question. What would be your message to writers who aspire to be published on the Youngblood or on other publications? Mm-hmm. My message is to just try. It all starts with trying because each one of us has a story to tell. And if you're too intimidated to at least try to put it on paper, then the young blood dream would just remain to be a dream. But if you start writing and you're honest about your experiences and you try to be clear with your message, there is no reason that you two can't be published in young blood. Amazing. Thanks for that. Also, just keep writing. That one rejection is just the start of everything. Um, before my first essay got published, I sent in six or seven essays, and they were published. They were rejected, all of them. Not one of them. I didn't even respond an email how to on how to improve my writing. Like it was just dead air. It was very silent. Yeah, they so never. Also, respond. if you get rejected, I guess one good thing to do is also the ask for mentors ask for help which is what i did so i had a friend who was also a teacher and in fact she is one of my favorite writers and she helped me she edited my essays she gave me feedback and so it's important to find someone who can help you and guide you yes yes in a good point and also i would just i would also like to add you keep reading especially also other young blood essays because not only do they inform writing style but they also inspire you to write honestly about your experiences. Yeah, and honestly, what makes great writers great writers is the fact that they're voracious readers. I remember when I was this when I was at this writing program, we would read a hundred plus pages in one day. We read more than we wrote. We would just write like a hundred or to five hundred word essay after reading thousands of essays for the day because according to our professor, who was very great, mind you, was that writers are first and foremost readers. So thanks for bringing that up. Definitely read, 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 and then only when you think that you you can and I there's no right time to write, but there's mm-hmm. the right way to write. Then yeah. do so, right? Yes. That's amazing. So this has been so much fun, Miss Carla. Yes, Thank you for you. coming in today. You're welcome. And thanks also. I, I had a great time. Born and raised in Negros Occidental, Carla is currently a psychologist at a national government hospital. She wants to write more to raise awareness about mental health issues and encourage others to use writing as a means for growth and healing. This has been the Youngblood Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions as to which works to feature on our next episodes, please feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or to DM us on Instagram. We're also on other social media platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter, so if you want, please go ahead and give us a follow. We appreciate each and every one of you. I'd also like to thank everyone who's been with us since day one. You guys are the real heroes behind this podcast. I've said this before, but I will say it again. Thank you very much. This has been Leah Angela Shoko. Thanks for listening. Until next time.